I'm sorry. I should have inserted no little ears, no little ears around here, but hopefully everybody we have an that. explicit warning. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I'll just put something at the beginning. All right, let me do some stretches here. Limber up. Let's okay. <laughs> okay, welcome to First Impressions, a podcast we talk about. I love for Jane Austen. Give a big middle finger to all those haters. I am Kristen, and I am joined by Maggie. Hi, everybody. Who we are on video feed today, and she just gave me two big middle fingers. So no, that I was didn't delightful. give it to you. I gave no, you two fingers. No, you threw them up. <laughs> it was for threw the them up into the atmosphere for the haters. Right. So welcome back again, Nagy. I oh, missed so nice you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I, last time with Bianca, it was great to talk to her, but we didn't get to talk a lot to each other. And like, so we've just been texting back and forth. So it, I'm excited to podcast with just you. Yes, me too. I've missed our time together. I missed our time together. Uh, my, my child, Alexander, is doing great, but like he doesn't talk back. I guess that's good. Like the first time he sasses me, I'm just going to give him a list of things, ways he's destroyed my body. <laughs> like, how dare you? <laughs> well, he can't they, disagree uh, they, with they you. They say that you're supposed to just like continuously narrate what you're doing for infants so that they are, become you. they want to expose them to as much words and verbal and things like that as you can from a very young age. So you just basically narrate what you're doing. Okay, Alexander, mommy's putting you on the changing table and now I'm gonna give you a new blah, blah, blah. And I'm really good at that because obviously I talk all the time. But <laughs> when you don't get anything back, yeah, it becomes- You start to feel a little weird about it. Yeah. And then do you imagine you're me, on camera? Like, do you imagine like no. there's a show and you're trying no. to, oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Like, I, I would be talking to an audience. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mom did ask me if I would talk to a dog the same way, which I thought was rude. Uh, <laughs> No, I talk to dogs much less. <laughs> and main, mainly when you talk to dogs, you just insult them like, yeah, hey, right. stupid. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's what we do with my dog. Wow, I don't do that, Kristen. <laughs> well, we get, fr- it's a, it's like, he's a very barky dog and we're having a hard time tra- training him. So we started to sprinkle in like, hey, dipshit. <laughs> Whenever he would is, do something wrong. This seems appropriate for Bingley though. Yes. Bingley. <laughs> Obviously we don't talk to our little girl that way. She's very well behaved. Um, but for, <laughs> for us, it just makes us laugh so hard. Like the first time we ever did it, he was, he barked and at reflections of himself. And there are a number of reflective surfaces in our house. It was just constantly barking. And so Kevin picked him up for one time and turned him around. So he wouldn't bark at the reflective surface, but 
it was dark outside and he saw himself in the reflection <laughs> of the glass of the glass door. And so he started barking again. And the Kevin was like, oh no, what's wrong? Do you see a stupid asshole? <laughs> <laughs> Like we fell all over as well as laughing. And now he probably thinks it's a term of endearment and it is yeah. a term of endearment to us, but, but yeah, uh, well, wouldn't talk this, to my baby that way. <laughs> this is a long intro, but make sure you leave it all in because this is com- This is podcasting gold right here. We, we, I usually try to not make the intro so shaggy, but uh, yeah. We got a lot of interesting tough stuff to talk about. Yeah, so. And we, ha- like you said, we haven't been, we haven't had the band back together. Yeah, so, I know. You just, just everybody wants to hear how Alexander is doing. And we saw on the face that you're the Facebook that you're reading pride and prejudice to him, which is adorable. Yeah. We have this really cute. It's uh, a part of a series of like Miss Austin board books. Uh, And so it's pride and prejudice accounting primer (laughs) where it's two rich gentlemen and then, you know, um, five Bennett sisters and things like that. And then you can like count on the page. Very cute. No, he's good. I should share a picture on the a Facebook page actually for everyone. He's really yeah. cute. He's a ginger. Yay. I know you were hoping you'd be a ginger. The odds were so against me, you guys. Bayard is brown, brown, brown. And that baby plopped out of me. Well, he didn't plop out. They pulled him out of me and plopped <laughs> him on my chest. And he was like, I've got red hair. I've got blue eyes. I'm going to wear all the sunblock. And I was like, <laughs> And you did a little fist bump right then and there. Yeah, I was like, yes, we did it. <laughs> half hours of pushing. <laughs> Worth it. My little recessive jeaned baby. I know. <laughs> He's very cute. It's, he has like very little hair. It's more like a peach fuzz, but on a photo, it does look very red. So oh. I'll try to find a good redhead photo of him. Yeah, for sure. Um, but Kristen, let's talk about why we have gathered here today. Uh, Daily Beloved, <laughs> we've gathered here today to talk about this thing called Andrew Davies' 2008 Sense and Sensibility miniseries adaptation. It's a thing. It's a thing, all right. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a real thing, you know? That's that's what can be said about it. It, it exists. Um, uh, do we have any listeners? I know people have asked us to uh, talk about this before. Has anyone asked us to talk about it because they love it? Yes, so... Okay. Um, well, not necessarily love it, but like it, I have never heard from like a rabid fan of this. And I, I, that's exactly what I was going to say is like, I I think we don't have to worry about treading on too many feelings, but if you do love this adaptation, we of course love and respect you. We just have some feelings of our own. And there were things I did like, I mean, it's got its good points and everything. I did enjoy parts of it and other parts I I didn't necessarily, but our, one of our first fans, Mr. I, wrote to us at one point and said, you should review this adaptation when, and we were still doing all the books. So I kind of back burnered it, but I did watch it again and I live blogged it for him. <laughs> so I, I said, cause it, I was like, Oh, I have an internet friend. And so I was like, Oh, Hey, I watched this thing today. And I, I typed some notes. And um, so I went back and read it again. And I was astonished how much my, imp- my impressions of it this time around matched my impressions of it the first time I watched it so I'm not being also been out for what like 13 years yeah yeah so it is a two-part I think they're each like without commercials like what like an hour and a half or something like that yeah and they definitely aired it they aired it in more I think they aired it in more sections. Than I just think they two. did it in like, cause it's masterpiece. So over here. So they probably did it in like three, one hour. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, probably. Like but uh, I thought it was okay. <laughs> it's just okay for me, dog. 
It's, but it's, here's the thing. Even before we get into any specifics, the specter of the only Emma Thompson movie just hangs over the entire thing, right? So agree. It just hangs over it the entire time. And so you're just kind of like, but why? Like, it's why so do I hard. need this? Even with more time, I didn't feel like there was that much that is there to justify doing it. I mean, you do it because you want to do it for, you want to make that money. You want to have all the like more recent adaptations. You want to have something to air on BBC, you know, like that's why you do it. But it just, the whole time you're like, well, this is different. Oh, I don't remember this in the other movie. Wow. Eleanor sure sounds a lot like Emma Thompson, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and it, you know, we have to acknowledge it's coming from a place where it is disadvantaged. And the thing about the, the only 1996 or whenever it came out, uh, adaptation is it's got just a collection of top tier, brilliant talent, incredible performances. It, it's sublime, right? It's just, I think it's got to take its place in the movie pantheon yeah. as maybe one of the top hundred best movies of all time. I mean, and when we were, winner. Yes. So. Yes. And I mean, performances that are indelible that will never, ever be superseded. Like for example, Elizabeth Spriggs as Mrs. Jennings, there can never be another. Right. And so anytime Dr. House as Mr. And, Palmer, okay. <laughs> Mr. Palmer. And, and, and I just he's felt married to Professor Umbridge. I mean, come on. <laughs> the, you know what? But you're right. They had so much more time, but instead of needing that time or making use of that time, for the most part, it just bloated the movie. Yeah. Because you've seen it told in a more streamlined, concise way that still works very, very well. Then all of a sudden we're having extraneous scenes like, oh, we've been invited to a ball tonight without providing them any scope for expression beyond what they've already done. And I, I did feel that, you know, again, it's hard. Some of the character decisions they made were not to my taste. And I guess we can get into talking about performances unless you yeah. wanted to I will say I did appreciate more time on the front end where the brother Eleanor and Marianne's half brother and his horrible wife are staying with they're all together in the house after the death of the kind of patriarch of the family I did appreciate that time at the beginning where we get to see how like big a pushover he is, how horrible his wife is. Now the, the film tells this like very succinctly in a montage and you still get it. But I did kind of enjoy seeing her like how much they all did not like each other. <laughs> I, guess. I don't know. On the front end, there was some stuff I didn't mind having some extra time for. The Yeah, but what bugged me and honestly, the front, the very first, you know, maybe 20 minutes of this movie is where it lost all my, all of my goodwill. And the reason is because Davies just copied to a large extent what they did in the Thompson adaptation. Importantly, uh, Edward and Margaret, the third daughter, ha do not interact in the book at all. Yeah. And Davies saw the way that Emma Thompson used that character to make us love Edward because he's so yeah. nice to that he's character. So it did the same him. thing. And it's like, do you could you not think of anything else to do? And and I didn't feel that there was like a, a ton of interaction between Eleanor and Edward that made me feel like any any passion. And he does chop some wood at one point. Oh, that really bugged me. <laughs> let me tell you, let me just start talking. Let me just start bitching. Okay. okay. Dan Stevens, very decorative. Very cute. Very, very, very cute. 
I was, I was thrilled to see him. Downton Abbey's Dan Stevens. Uh, There's no doubt he has acting chops. So I don't understand some of the decisions that were made. And I kind of have to wonder if it was just the directing someone trying to get his performance a certain way. He bugged the shit out of me as Edward because he smiled in places. This is my number one acting pet peeve. No, like when smiles are forced and a normal person would not be smiling at that particular moment. And he smiled a lot in this film, even when he was supposed to be feeling love for Eleanor or passion for Eleanor. Mm -hmm. And, but then on the other side of the equation, he has a face that when it is resting, it's um, a little bit hangdog, right? It's a little bit sad already. So then they, then at, you know, when Dan Stevens goes to, to, to Devonshire to stay with them in the cottage, he emotes way too much. He's way too depressed and sad to the point where it's like rude. It's like, Mm -hmm. why are you spewing your feelings all over this living room with this woman you you're supposed to love? You're not, I mean, I mean, I know that's what happens in the book. He goes and he doesn't engage with Eleanor and he acts really depressed, but it was so over the top. And then the chopping wood was just it for me. I was like, what the fuck is this? My guess would be that the point of that is to clue the audience in that something is up, right? Well, it could have been done. He likes her. So there must be a reason why when he's with her, he is not happy. It could have been done with good acting. (laughs) I don't know why it was done as though it was a stage play and he had to play to the farthest row in the back and look sad. I, um, he, he was just so tragic that it was like beyond rude. You know, I, I don't know. It, it didn't make sense. And not to belabor this point, because this is just one scene out of a very long miniseries. Well, I have to be honest. He did not make that big of an impression for me. I always think Edward's kind of boring. And you got Hugh Grant, who's got like leaking charm. Yeah. So it, it works. <laughs> like it's okay. But if you take out that and like, no offense to Dan Stevens, I think he's very charming too and good looking. But like Edward's boring to me. Yeah. So it's like, oh, uh, like, oh, look, there's Edward. That's his whole thing. But they, he, you know, in the end, this is the problem. At the end of the movie, they have this scene. He has a scene with Eleanor where Eleanor has told him, oh, Colonel Brandon's giving you a living. He is like, oh, thanks. And it's just like very smiley. Oh, like, oh, cool. Thank you. Everything's cool. Everything's chill. And he should be, that's when he should be devastated. That's when he should be morose, over the top, sad. They're together. They're alone. He can show his feelings even though he can't say them, he could show that with his demeanor, but he doesn't act like a man who's passionately in love with Eleanor in those ending scenes, especially when he's like, I'll stand by Lucy. You know, you you should see him very stoic and solid, like I'll stand by Lucy because we know he's in love with Eleanor. But instead he's like almost too, like almost affectionate towards her. And like, I, no, I, I know we're supposed to think time. he's putting it on, but I didn't buy it. I, I just thought it was bad acting. I did not get the feeling he was affectionate towards Lucy at all. I just got, he was like trying to do the honorable thing. I don't know. I feel like Edward is just kind of like very cowardly through the whole thing until he does finally stand up literally like in front of his mother with Lucy to like do the honorable thing. But like I said, I just think he's like, what? I I mean, Eleanor, no offense to Eleanor, who I really do like, but she's not exactly burning down any, uh, Barnes and personality. So maybe that's why they're a good match. Uh, well, yeah. But even when he proposes to her at the very end when she's crying, he's still so smiley. 
Yeah, and it was could, sweet. You didn't like that? No, it could have been. It could have been sexy. Okay. It could have been passionate. And instead, Harris is not passionate. No, but it could have been. But he's dancing. You got Dan Stevens there, and you're gonna make him smile like a goofball instead Bridget, of like the answer off is obvious. It should have been filmed in the rain. Oh God damn it! Just have him go outside and have it be in the rain. I am not. I without wanting to Bronte it up, he could have <laughs> just you know get, give us a big sexy smooch. I mean, we sat through this whole piece pile of crap miniseries <laughs> oh my god I am sorry I okay. I was very frustrated with it so anyway so that's Dan Stevens's performance but you did you like Hattie what is her name Hattie Moran um As she's El- she Alice Eleanor. Eleanor yeah I thought she's great I really liked her I thought she was probably my favorite and but that's the thing about Eleanor too she's not like super Marianne is the one that's like oh blah, blah. and Eleanor's just like kind of okay but someone has to actually find us a house and I appreciate that. She was not boring to me. I liked her performance overall. One one problem though is that she did come off like a scold, a little bit too much of a scold. Oh, like all the time with Marianne, yeah. But that I think that's kind of like what the script was having her do in this version. Yeah, less like close sisters and more like I don't know. It felt very like older, much older sister, younger sister. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And and she has very sort of like bird-like kind of like wide-eyed features. It it didn't, it was hard to picture her as sad when you knew she was sad in, inside. And I don't know, maybe that's okay, but I uh, I didn't get a ton of secret emoting from her. Yeah, I agree. Eleanor's whole thing is that she has to keep it all bottled up inside, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't often feel that. So whatever. I mean, there were certain times that you did. And certainly the the scene where Lucy sort of discloses her secret to Eleanor, yeah. El- she was very good in that scene. And I especially loved how they inserted the line, I, I never sought your confidence. <laughs> that kind of, it kind of portrays it too. Speaking of the steals, we have the restoration Oh yeah. Okay, the second steel sister, which did make me very happy. Is it Anne? Is that her name? Anne is her name. Yes. Uh, I think she's one of the great, you know, comedic characters. And so I was very happy. I thought that actress was hilarious. Oh, she was good. The performance was good. I, I loved it too. I will say another cr- big critique I had of this mini, this movie, I'll just call it a movie. It's fine is that Davies took all the comedy and there is a ton of comedy in Sense and Sensibility, a lot of comedic potential. I will say I didn't even really crack a smile or laugh at anything. Yeah. Except it, with her, I thought she was. Except funny. with her, yeah. She she was a much needed um, lightness. And, you know, uh, it was just increasingly frustration with the comedic potential kind of going down the great the drain partially because of the beats the beats weren't there it was bloated there were lots of pauses between lines there were lots of reaction shots there were lots of lost opportunities to, to do jokes include the scene with robert ferris in the shop right when eleanor goes oh yeah the shop and he's what is he shopping for something stupid a toothpick like case a toothpick case yeah one of the great <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you got all this time, you might as well make yeah, use of it. It's still, and it felt like we actually had less of the of Lucy Steele in this version than the shorter yes. film, right? We it's so did. Here. We so had less, and that's that caused problems in the in the second half when Fanny says, "Oh, I'm having the Miss Steels for a visit." You're like, "Wait, how the fuck does she even know the Miss Steels?" Yeah. 
there, there's no brown nosing. There's no opportunity for Lucy Steele to sort of suck up to Lady Middleton or her children or to Fanny. And, and so you lose a lot of that character development and you don't, Lucy is not very hateable um, in other than a, a couple of scenes where she's clearly kind of crowing over Eleanor. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that's the, that's the thing. It's like they had so much time, but instead of developing characters, um, they made everybody hit you over the head. Oh, Dan Stevens, such a sweet guy. I'm going to hit you over the head with it. Oh, Marianne's so impetuous. Every line is going to be over the top. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. they, they could have done something really nice with that time. Well, what did you think of Charity Wakefield as Marianne? I will say, again, she had a really tough job to play the same role as Kate Winslet, who did an amazing job. I will just say that. I didn't care for some of her line reads. However, um, she had great chemistry with Dominic Cooper. Uh, who we played... finally remember where we know him. <laughs> he plays Willoughby, yes. And, and one of the strengths of this miniseries is that Willoughby and Marianne have very good chemistry and they have a lot of sexy scenes and they you get very invested in him. He's great. Um, he, but I have to say, he plays the young Howard Stark in the, in the Marvel movies. He plays uh, Tony Stark, Iron Man's dad. Yes, and it was killing me. I could not place him, but he yeah. looked so familiar. IMDb, baby. <laughs> Maggie figured it out, and I was like, oh my God, of course. Well, I just went on IMDb, and it's like, known for Captain America, the first Avenger. And I was just like, son of a Holy bitch. shit. He's just got one of those faces that I it was just like, maybe he just has one of those faces. And then, of Did course. I did not know he was British, was. actually. I thought he was American. His accent's very good. No. Kudos. Yeah, anyway, yeah that's true. They did, have, <laughs> they did have very good chemistry, um, although I didn't get... Oh, I don't know. Dominic Cooper is very good, but I also didn't get like the kind of swashbuckling romantic vibe from him. You, you didn't? Know? He was already always reading her Byron. Yeah. Well, hmm. um, <laughs> and I thought she was very good, but this Marianne didn't feel very teenager to me. I don't and know. Didn't, weren't you frustrated this time around? You were telling me something like the, you were super frustrated with the decisions oh, that she made. Everybody makes stupid decisions in this. Uh, and like they make the same decisions they make in the book, which is fine. But like in this one, I just I just wanted to you know, facepalm constantly because it was just like, of course you're gonna go outside and run in the rain and like why don't you just talk to each other kind of thing. And for some reason in this version, it just felt so much more like, oh, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> it's frustrating. You know what I mean? yeah. Yes. Yes, because there's a lot of sameness, and especially with Marianne, every line after the breakup, she just has to deliver with this sort of same petulance. And again, with with things being written so that we're bashed over the head, I was particularly struck with Marianne when they go to Mrs. Ferrer's house and they have a dinner where Fanny and Mrs. Ferrer are both being super mean to both her and Eleanor everything was over the top about that scene, but especially how she's playing the piano and then she like hits a discordant note and she's like, no, it is Eleanor of who we think and speak. And she like has like this ten temper tantrum. Oh, see, I loved that though. I was like, yes, tell that bitch off. I loved it. She, <laughs> if, doesn't get, she doesn't care anymore. She's, she's so heartbroken. She doesn't care what anyone thinks of her. <laughs> and to be fair, I should walk my statement back because of all Austin's books, that dinner is one where the m most clear villainous cruel behavior is displayed like upfront and it's yeah. it's most one of the most shocking like bad behavior kind of things and Marianne does you know screech it's Eleanor of who we think and speak and yeah. like takes the painting out of her hand so that that's all in the book so 
Yeah, if you don't have the emotional resonance in the script, then the actors don't have a way to make it as convincing. And I feel like we also have to talk about, what is his name? David Morrissey? Colonel Brandon. Yeah. My mom thought he was a babe. He is very attractive. Here's I, see, with- I do not think so. No offense. Like this is, it's subjective, right? I mean, who should sure. say who's attractive? Or not. Sure. But I was watching this with my mom because she comes over and helps me with Alexander. And she was like, oh, oh, who's that? He's handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I do not find David Morrissey that handsome. And maybe it's because what I mainly know him from is The Walking Dead, where he played not a great guy. Oh. Um, but yeah, I just don't see him as like the romantic. Well, here's what Davies tried to do, I think. He tried to make Brandon into Darcy and Willoughby into Wickham. Mm -hmm. Did you notice the first time Brandon meets Marianne? She's playing the piano. He says her performance is remarkable. She's like, did that mean you like it? And he he was like, it was very original. He kind of negs her. And I think he was trying to give us a Darcy flavor of like, oh, this guy's kind of a jerk. Well, and, like a romantic, dark, tall, dark, and handsome type. Yeah, yeah. And then he does give him, you know, this sort of standoffishness or or whatever. But he very quickly then comes and brings flowers and music and is very sweet. And so you're like, oh, I like this guy. I don't know if we're just supposed to feel like that first slight turned her off of him. She never completely, you know, I don't know. Um, she just thinks that he's old and boring. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, pretty much, which is what she thinks in the book too. And she says he has one fatal flaw. He's not Willoughby. And that was all fine. His performance though, really was very dark and brooding. And it was all capped off by the end where he's like, I'm going to tame Marianne like a wild animal with the falcon. That whole last like 20 minutes is full of Marianne as a wild animal that needs to be tamed. tamed. Even Eleanor calls her like a wild uh, horse. I mean, she's just when a petulant like, little girl. She's like, a sniveling oh, you to, teenager. You have to walk. But by the end, she's not, I don't think. But it was just like really creepy. I didn't like um, these, everyone comparing her to like an animal that needs, that to, needs be to be broken, broken kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it was kind of fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. And the Falcon, when he's like brooding and looking at her with the Falcon on his arm, it's, 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 it's kind of ridiculous. There seems to be a lot of kind of like um, things that, I'm, I'm not one to uh, point out historical inaccuracies, but uh, such a big deal was made out of her and Willoughby going off on their own. And then she's just like alone with Brandon constantly. <laughs> yeah. And nobody cares. And she like goes over there and hangs out with him and he comes into her sick room when she's in her nightgown. Oh yeah. Alone. There's a lot of unchaperoned. Yeah. He's much, much more of a father figure. And uh, um, I loved, let me say t- another thing too, because we were kind of already talking about the great chemistry between Dominic Cooper, uh, Willoughby, and Marianne. I loved that they went to Alanum. I loved yeah. that it was clearly something they shouldn't be doing, that he was showing her around a, her, a house that wasn't his, um, saying it was going to be hers. She totally steals this beautiful shawl with its, yeah. like, this gorgeous gold embroidery. But it's a very sexy series of scenes where you can tell he's enchanted by her. You can feel his love for her. You can feel his desire for her, which does make it devastating when he breaks it off and comes in like this sleazy con man where he's clearly a liar and, you know, has changed his stripes uh, with Mrs. Dashwood. And he's, and he, you know, he's not even that sad. Like, like 
what's the guy what's the actor's name greg wise who yeah. is yeah he's like it is folly to linger in this manner and he like runs he's, away he's like actually upset about actually it, upset yeah. dominic cooper just flipped the switch and is yeah. like slippery and which is fine it's just a different choice but um but yeah at least i was invested in that relationship and another darcy-esque thing about brandon is that a number of points in this we get to see him confront willoughby in a way that is very explicit. Um, at one of the country dances, he draws Willoughby aside and says, what are your intentions? And they have this very intense smoldering sort of scene. And then later, l- let me tell you this. At they have the a bu- fucking duel. They have a fucking duel. But, but <laughs> I was like, I do not remember this. <laughs> but before that, they're in the ballroom and Willoughby cuts Marianne, you know, is mean to her, acts like he doesn't know her. Yeah. She swoons into a faint. Brandon is there to catch her, which was a little too on the nose for me, plot wise. You know, like, yeah, okay. So she went. But he looks at Dominic Cooper. He looks at Willoughby. They, they make this very intense eye contact. And Kevin, who was passing through the room with a laundry basket at the time, oh God, looked you- at that scene and said, Oh, they fucking. Yeah. Because it was. <laughs> it's like, like, it was no, such. It's like- it's so homoerotic. You guys need to learn how to differentiate your like sexy brooding. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really hard for the audience to tell the difference. I'm sorry. I should have inserted no little ears, no little ears around here, but hopefully everybody We have an that. explicit warning. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I'll just put something at the beginning. Uh, um, what do you think about um, the scene where he, uh, Willoughby comes to Eleanor at the end and is like, you should feel bad for me. (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So what the 15 year old girl that I raped and because, you know, she's 15, uh, the 15 year old (laughs) girl that I basically raped and left on her own with my illegitimate child. She wasn't a saint either. Yeah. I'm married to a rich woman that I married by my own choice and she's mean. I, I did. It didn't make him any more sympathetic. I feel like in the in the book, it succeeded a little bit better in making him at least sort of sympathetic. But Dominic Cooper didn't turn on the hurt or the pain. He just turned on the slipperiness and the anger. Yeah. So you you really don't buy into anything that he's saying. Well, and he also has like a three page monologue in the book. If I yeah 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 he does. <laughs> um, and I just remember looking at the, and again I'm watching it with my mom. I'm just I'm like. We, I'm just talking back to the screen as I do. And I'm like, why are you here? If I was Eleanor, like, why are you here? And then he keeps talking. I'd be like, bitch, bye. And that's basically <laughs> what she does. She's like, just get out. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants you here. Get out. What are you even doing? <laughs> and in the book though, she does start to feel bad for him, I think. Yeah, she, she does. Eleanor does get a little bit more sympathy for him because she knows that at one point his love was real. I think that's more to show that she's a very nice person. Yeah, she's, that she's necessarily. She has of. sensibility as well. Deep down, she's she has sensibility. She can feel for him, and they were friends. I mean, this is a person who was in her life who was yeah. who was friendly with her, who was you know friendly, you know she thought was going to be her brother-in-law at one point. So, yeah. So, what other performances should we talk about? Um, I think we hit the main people. Um, I did want to point out um, uh, the uh, actress who plays their mother, who plays Mrs. Mrs. Dashwood, who's Janet McTeer. It was driving me crazy where I knew her from, the whole thing. And I finally looked it up and she is Jessica Jones's mom. 
Oh, the Netflix series, Jessica Jones. So, oh, that was a relief when I figured that out. She is a very tall woman. Yes, she And is. I don't know why every time I saw her, that struck me. Maybe it's just because, um, is it Bridget Jones's mom who plays her in the Oscar Yes, movie? yes, Gemma, yeah, Gemma, Gemma Jones. Yeah. yeah, and she's very tiny. So <laughs> uh, it's just, she's just like a very tall woman. And so she has like a great, she has a lot of screen presence. Um, and I, I liked her a lot and I liked Margaret. Margaret was rad. Yeah. Margaret was rad. I, I, at first I rolled my eyes when she gets that line of like, men get to do all the fun things and women can't. And, and, but then I remember some people are watching this who are not Austin fans and who that would be meaningful to them. Like, Oh, I understand that. So that was fine. She was cute. Um, I loved the use. I love this actor wherever he appears. Um, Mycroft Holmes. Um, What is his John real name? Dashwood. Yes, oh, he God, played John Dash. Let me look it up. I was just like, "Holy crap! It's Mycroft. He's a ginger." Yeah. Okay. And he's uh, also in Game of Thrones. Mark and- Gaddis. Yeah. Yes, Mark he, Gaddis. He is. Um, he collaborates a lot with. Uh, oh God, who's the guy who did show? Stephen. I can't remember his name. The guy who was the showrunner of Doctor Who for a long time, and then uh, created Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I believe that he works uh, with Mark Gaddis a lot. I have to Google this now so I don't look like a moron. It's it's one of those this one of those actors where their face is so expressive that they just always are emoting, especially with him because he's got a smirky. He's got he's really easy to look smirky. Yeah. So he sort of has a smirky face. It. That's it. Okay. Yeah. And so um, he he was very good at. at as John, just as good as um, James Fleet for me. He was like very kind of toady and sort of unsure and Fanny dominates him. Fanny uh, Dashwood was a little over the top evil villain for me. Gotta say though, 70% of the work of that character was done by the hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was fine. Her voice was perfect. Like just so, um, but like the hair and her voice really like made that character what it was, I think. Yeah. And I, I thought that um, a whole bunch of other supporting characters were fine. Oh my God. How, we forgot to talk about how the fact that uh, Sir John is uh, Mr. Weasley. Oh yes, Sir John Middleton. Yes. Um, he is, Miss, you know, he's Mr. Weasley. I was excited at first. I thought he kind of played uh, Sir John very weird. What did you think? Uh, he did. He wasn't as jovial as yeah. the character in the other film, but I did like how he basically was like, "We're sending a carriage tree at four o'clock. You'll be there." And yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't know that this house came with like all of these demands on our time. Um, but I always love to see Arthur Weasley. Yeah. And, or as my mom said, "Oh, it's Father Brown from." Oh Father yes, Brown Father Brown. Mystery. And I'm like, "What are you talking about, lady? You haven't seen because Father Brown? I haven't. She is obsessed with. She has W." ETA UK and um, Acorn TV and like all that stuff. She, she don't have Brickbox. I can't remember. Um, but my mom is well-versed in all of the UK entertainment. After we finished all the Midsummer Murders, I, I needed more. I needed more, yes, more British mysteries that we dug into Father Brown. We didn't finish them. The ones we watched were fine. They were del- he was delightful. But he has a very intense delivery, which if it's... 
and that one his his character was not very smiley if he had just smiled it would have it would have been a little more so it would have made a little more smiles. sense if he's a person who loves company why isn't he yeah. happier when he's around company and then lady middleton i was at first excited that that character got kept and then she does nothing and has one scene and i was like yeah. oh man um same with pa- the palmers and charlotte they they didn't even get to characterize themselves they didn't get to have any fun and it's so weird because they had so much more time but they so much less impression in a shorter yeah Yes. But also you got, I mean, again, like Hugh Laurie and Amal, Amal stop. Yeah, it's, it's tough. But, but let me say this about- too, oh. really quick. I, I think I already said I, I worship at the altar of Elizabeth Spriggs, who plays Mrs. Jennings. Quick uh, side note, the very first episode of Midsummer Murders, she is in it. Oh yeah. My mom said she knew her from somewhere too. I'll have to yes. And she's so good. The first episode of Midsummer Murders is so great. If you haven't, you haven't seen it, we'll make you addicted to this show. And she is fantastic in it. And so I looked it up and actually I, we may have said this before, but she is no longer with us. She died in 2008. This is Mrs. Jennings. You're talking yeah. About? Her name yeah. is Linda Bassett. I'm trying to remember mm-hmm. where mom said she saw her. Oh, you're talking oh, about, yeah. you're talking about mrs jennings in this adaptation in the 2008 yeah you're talking okay sorry you're talking about the ongly version yeah she is wonderful she just makes you smile no yes listening horrible things you're like oh my god you're like even then you're like you are just a delightful (laughs) old lady who does not give two shits but yeah in this adaptation i thought mrs jennings was cute she had a few nice moments but um you know she she did fine it it's so hard when your performance is being compared to someone who is oscar worthy you know and fantastic Yeah, like I was saying, the the ghost of that movie hangs. Yeah, over it just really sure. hangs over you. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it's it's tough with you know the big climactic scene with Emma Thompson crying, and uh, you know they did it a little different. They they oh, have oh. her. Go ahead. I did like part of that though when Marion is sick. I did like where she, Eleanor wakes up. It's a scene where they find out she's okay. Eleanor wakes up, and you just see Marion laying there very still, and it's like, a, oh my god, is she dead? And then there's a very long pause. And finally you see her breathe and you're like, oh, and <sighs> that hit really hard. Cause it's like, that's me staring at this baby at night. <laughs> Just breathe. So I know you're okay. And if anyone tells you at least the first couple of weeks that they did not do that with a newborn, they are lying. They are a liar. <laughs> Man, it's gotta be so stressful. I don't know how anybody does it. I don't know how you do it. I mean, you, well, I learned a lot about safe infant sleep because there's actually a lot you can do. Um, I mean, obviously like things like SIDS is terrifying and stuff like that. Um, but there's a lot you can do to create a safe sleeping space. And I, I did a lot of research for it. And so I, I rest pretty easy. And when I walk by to go to the bathroom, I usually just like, you know, you do a check because that's what you do. It's like, it's your child, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, but that like hit hard for me. Cause I totally know that, that feel. Where you're just like waiting to see what if they're gonna like you know yeah make sure they're breathing okay <laughs> and then you're like oh my god Eleanor and Marianne get to have some nice moments there is a moment early on where Marianne just confronts Eleanor and says sometimes I wonder what it would be like to be like you yeah or like what is what is it like to be you and it was so rude but it felt so real in a sisterly kind of way yeah and that they're having a real fight and she's saying real rude shit there is another nice moment when they're both under the covers together, kind of talking about men mm-hmm. and how they've both been done dirty by their men. And she's sort of like, we're just their playthings, and they have some nice connections. But one opportunity that was really lost is at the end when Marianne has this line 
where she says, I compare it with what it should have been. I compare it with yours. That's a very weighty, meaningful line. Mm-hmm. And it's just tossed off. Yeah. They're like walking, they're like going back from the cliff. And it, and, and it's like, it, it was so weird to me uh, that it didn't even seem to land. I know what you mean. And that's like an iconic, again, an iconic line from the film. The big, yeah, where resolution. Like big moment where it's yeah. like her, she showed, Marianne shows that she has really changed and she has learned and grown. I compare it to what it should have been. I compare it with yours. Yeah. And here it was like, it. yeah, it was a, the camera was far away. They're on a walk. We don't even see their faces when she says it. It's like basically voiceover. Yeah, so I agree. And I knew that was coming too. So I was like, oh, here's the line. And she's like, I compare it to what it should have been. I compare it with yours. And they're like, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's not even a reaction from Eleanor, really. One thing I did love is the difference when Edward proposes to Eleanor, she bursts out of tears and run, bursts into tears and runs out of the room, which is in the book. And then she starts putting on like an apron. So like she cute. just, she yeah. doesn't know what to do with herself. She's like, I okay, to, I'm going to start cleaning the kitchen. Everything's fine. <laughs> she's still like having to keep it together, which is this very characteristic Eleanor thing. She's got constantly got to keep it together. It's when I wanted him to rush and rush over and take her into his arms. And Oh, Kristen, that, that's not going to happen. No, it could have happened though. I, I thought know. that scene was sweet. I stand by that. I thought that scene was really sweet when he was like, I love you. He has to like spell it out for her because she's so she's like trying to distract herself. Yeah. And he's like, I've always loved you. I love you. Will you marry me? Blah, blah, blah. And then she's just like, is very happy. And he's like smiling like a goofball the whole and time. And they do smooch. They do. It wasn't, you know, it was a spent opportunity. It was a missed opportunity. And then at the end when they're married, he's in this like farmyard, just like windmilling his arms, chasing these chickens oh around. God, that scene was so dumb. And here's where it's dumb. <laughs> Because not only do they do that, but then the camera does this like close up on Eleanor and she has to look like so happy and content and she's laughing. And I just picture uh, like right by her, the director is like, okay, okay. He's chasing the chickens. He's cha- you're smiling. This is all you've ever wanted in your whole, I'm holding a bullhorn. <laughs> this is all you've ever wanted in your whole life. You're so happy. It's simple, but it's beautiful. You're so happy. He's such a goober, but you love him. Okay. Just a l- little tighter. Give me a little bit more of a smile. And okay, we got it. And I just picture him like, Whoever the director was, I assume one man, just, it was so like, okay, this is the scene where we showed that Eleanor got everything she ever wanted. And it's a simple life, but that's all she ever wanted because. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And for some reason that correlates to like, okay, we're going to chase some chickens around. Kevin hated it too. And he turned to me, he's like, why don't you ever look at me? Like, (laughs) oh, 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 I love you so much. Oh, you're so delightful. Oh, your antics. And so then we've been fake doing it to each other today where we just like look at each other and then just like laughs delightedly. Like the Kevin's antics are like drinking a beer on the couch, letting out a huge burp and then being like, oh, damn, Bingley. Like why you got to burp like that or something. (laughs) Are you going to tell me Dan Stevens doesn't do that in Eleanor's house? Like pretend. Uh Oh, I hear someone crying. Uh oh, it's the baby. <laughs> That's why you get married, folks, so someone else can deal with it. <laughs> anyway, I I get what they were going for. Again, like clearly, it's a happy ending for Eleanor. It's just like a simple life. It felt forced. But yeah, I was like, I don't need to see Dan Stevens chasing some goddamn chicken. <laughs> they- what would have been nice is what I would have done if I was in charge. Um, one of the things that Marianne always talks about is how people read as like a barometer of their 
how good a match they would be for someone you're like oh did you but did you hear how he read and stuff like that yeah yeah maybe just like have them in the room together in the evening sitting quietly like he's reading she's doing something else and she just looks up and just looks happy you know like that yeah it doesn't have to be I love that idea. I think him reading to her in his way, letting the words speak for themselves, right? That would have been a beautiful ending. One of the things I would have done is, and I mentioned this before, but just taking the opportunity to show the steels being encroaching. These are characters we're supposed to hate. And we just do not get a single scene of her, of Lucy sucking up to anyone. And that's a real loss to the story because at that time, all we get is scene after scene of Marianne being morose. I was frustrated. I hear you. you. It seems like there's a lot of time for the same amount of story. Yeah. Yeah. Or even less. Even less story. Yeah. And like less character development from like minor characters. Well, I thought Robert Ferris was good. I guess. I'm just going to like have my mom be a third person on this podcast. She looks up because my mom is always distracted TV watcher. She's like, I'm guilty of this too. She's always doing something else. So she looks up and she goes, is that the same guy who played him in the movie? (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. Did she really think so? Yeah. And I got to say like, he did have a Robert Ferris. Yeah. There's sort of a rat like look. Yeah. They did a good job. Which again, I think is just like kind of building on the ideas of the previous movie. I think it would be great too to what to see a scene or two that shows Lucy Steele how she wheedled her way into Robert's affections. Of course, we can't see that because it has to be a complete surprise when yeah, Edward comes. You get it all from the like when my mother transferred my fortune to my brother, Lucy transferred her affections. her affections. Like that pretty much tells you all you need to know, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't work unless they did it as some kind of flashback after the fact after the fact, which might not be it meaningful. It makes me mad that in the end she kind of wins. Yeah, yeah. She's terrible. And yet she still get like, she, well, I mean, she's married to Robert, which whatever, but like, she gets the thing she actually wanted, which is the money. I don't, do you think that sense and sensibility, I mean, Edward and Eleanor are definitely like the love story, but they're like, you were saying, they're not very, they're not a passionate love story. I feel like there's this book stands against the proposition that like passionate love is sustainable. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's totally the whole thing is how stupid it is to throw yourself on the pyre of love and immolate yourself and and die of a fever because you have wet stockings because you're looking at (laughs) uh, Coom Magna or whatever it's called. Well, they don't, do they have her do that in in this one? She's just walking in the She's just walking around. Actually, it is implied that she gets struck by lightning. Because she's wandering around in the rain and there's there's thunder and lightning happening. And I looked at my mom and I said, the, oh, this would only be better if she gets struck by lightning. And then she's standing there looking up and they clearly show like lightning. And then the next thing you know, she's like on the ground <laughs> and you don't know why she actually collapsed or anything like that. And I'm like, well, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> but then what happened? Yeah. Um, she doesn't go look at the estate. Yeah, you're right. In this one, she just goes goes and stands in the rain around in the rain and um but uh when i was 16 probably yeah so the real passion resides in people who long to be together and the romance is that they don't they have to keep it inside right like that's sexy it's about the sex that's not happening right yeah and i think that um the thompson adaptation played it as a much more mature kind of love 
yeah. I think that Hugh Grant didn't really get there as far as kindling the fire of the audience's passionate sex desires. Yeah. You know, I think that this, this as a Davies adaptation had the opportunity to show them looking longingly at each other and being, being genuinely devastated that they can't be together. But I feel like that's not what the story is actually, I hear what you're saying, but to me, like, that's not what the point of this book or the story is. Yeah. And here's the thing, like with, um, with Marianne and Brandon, when you've got Alan Rickman and Kate Winslet, like they're hot and they're hot together. And he's always just like Mr. Broody and stuff. Right. <laughs> right. But when you don't have that, the, the, and you just have, like, it would be when you don't have just when you don't have Alan Rickman, it's just, it's not as, I don't know. I'm not as, inv- I don't give a shit about Marion and Brandon. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to say it. If yeah. it's not Alan Rickman, I really don't care. Like, it's just, oh, okay. He's the guy who lives next door who like did her family a solid a couple times. Oh, you're talking about this, this I Brandon? Don't even, I don't even see in, in this version, I don't even see that as like, that's just a marriage of convenience as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I know it, they try to make it seem like he's passionate for her, but it's just like, I mean, the age difference is a big thing. And they say, really, oh, 35 year olds marry 17 year olds all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's Thanks for that a, context. <laughs> yeah, it's hard as a modern audience member to be like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me? I mean, and you don't even get his backstory of loving. I mean, you kind of do, but you don't get why he loves her. He do, He doesn't get, I don't think he gets a line like, I once knew a young woman who was. No, he, pat- he loves her because she reminds him. Oh, of right, the girl right. He actually loved. Okay, so he does get that line. I don't and remember him saying it. She warns to him when she hears that because her whole thing is like, when you love, you should love forever. Yeah. Right, and so right. when she learns that, like, he had like this whole like lost love kind of thing, it and- makes him more interesting to her. She's like, oh, maybe he does know about love. Alan Rickman sort of uh, emoted a hopeless despair. And this That's actor, how I like my men. Yeah, <laughs> this actor just seemed kind of scary and imposing. You know, ser- very serious, very serious guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he, I believe, is also in Death Comes to Pemberley. I oh, is he? He he also plays Colonel Fitzwilliam. He's uh, he's on the Austin train. Now, don't at me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm just gonna quickly look at my notes to see if there's anything else I want to bitch about. I mean, talk about. Yes, yes, Mr. Impudence. <laughs> Mr. Um, Mrs. Jennings still gets the Mr. Impudence line. In fact, Was she it? gets the real line, whereas in the Emma version, it's just Greg Wise imitating her saying, yes, yeah. yes, Mr. Impudence. Oh, God, when they're hunting, the dog's name is Suki. He's like, go oh, get him, what? Suki. I did not catch that. Yeah, I Kevin heard it. He made me rewind it and we confirmed it. So our dog, uh, Kevin and I, our dog is named Suki. Um, so we got excited about that. Okay, I'm totally wrong, by the way. Who the hell is this guy? I am now on IMDb, not listening to anything Kristen says, just so you know. Uh, it, it wasn't exciting for anybody but me. Oh, uh, oh, so <laughs> what do you think about the decision at the beginning to show Willoughby seducing? Stupid. You hated it? Yes, I hate, hated it. Yes, thank you, Andrew Davies. We get it. You want to like sex up these things so that when my mom tunes in to watch Sense and Sensibility, she's like, oh, what is this? There's like a sex scene at this? I don't remember this. (laughs) I mean, sure. Bring the sex to the forefront. Show that Willoughby truly is a scandal. It's a scandalous guy. They can't even tell it's him. 
you no. can't tell who it is. So that the whole time you're like, well, what, well, like, what, was, who were those what the hell people? was that about? And then you finally figure it out and you're like, <laughs> oh, that explains that scene two hours ago. <laughs> we first started watching it. Kevin was like, he's a certified freak. Can and we I have Kevin to come in on the commentary. <laughs> we really, but then I said, I was like, we will later find out that his pull-out game was indeed weak. Yeah. Because it cheated. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, it's the lyrics to a song called WAP by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. It's probably. So <laughs> what does he whisper to her? He whispers something to her like, you're not a child so, anymore. So won't approve. It's yes. Like, they don't, they don't see you as anything more than a child. And it's like, bitch, she's 15. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Blah. Gross. Get out of here. Yeah. It's awful. I mean, it's awful. Yeah. Oh, but, but historically, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But I'm not watching this historically. I'm yeah. pretty sure that this BBC television miniseries wasn't made for someone in 1801. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why but he you can- need to, you need to connect with your modern audience, which is why. And again, like when you have 17 year old Mary and 35 year old Brandon, okay. But it's Alan Rickman. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with it. You got to have a hall pass exception yeah, for Alan right? Rickman. <laughs> But when it's just some rando uh, British dude, you're like, this is a little creepy. One of the things that I always meditate on, I'm going to say something that has nothing to do with anything, Cool. is that Alan Rickman has a voice that is very characteristic of him. Like no one else sounds like him naturally. They can do an impression. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of other actors who are this way. Another one would be Robert Sean Leonard. He has something with the way he talks. I guess is, he does, doesn't he? Like, is characteristic. I could, the, I could be in the kitchen doing something and there could be like a house rerun or Dead Poet Society. And I'd be like, oh, it's that guy. Like I would recognize that it's him. That's who you're talking about, right? Exactly. Okay. And uh, who was um, Claudio in Much Ado About Nothing. And he yeah. was also in Dr. House. Yeah, he was uh, the Watson character, Wilson. But anyway, another actor who is this way was also in the Thompson Sensibility and that Thompson Thompson Sense and Sensibility. And that is uh, Greg Wise and the Thompson's husband. Really? He has such a characteristic way of speaking and it's it's something very nasal in the way he speaks. Do you know what I'm talking about? And no. so he was in, okay, I was starved for period dramas. I was scrolling through Prime and it advertised something to me called The Buccaneers. Oh, which yeah, I've seen that. It's a miniseries adaptation of Edith Wharton novel, right? If I'm not mistaken. And he is in that, but he's wearing a mustache and I am completely face blind. So of course I did not recognize him at all. And then his voice was eating at me so bad. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? I don't recognize his face, but I recognize his voice. And um, that's when I realized who he was. And I was like, oh my God. And he is handsome. <laughs> I'm like, okay, once I knew it was Willoughby, he seemed more handsome with well, the mustache. He stole, didn't he take Emma Thompson? He stole Emma Thompson from Kenneth Brown. No, 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 no. They already broken up. Wasn't she a lesbian for a while? I don't know, man. But Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh really cheated on her in a horrible way. Yeah, he seems like way. he's a dick, right? He cheated on her with Helena Bonham Carter. <gasps> yes. It was, it was, disaster. it was, a, it was a incredible. She also broke up, um, Tim, what is his name? The actor, where all the director, who's all his movies, like Edward Scissorhands guy. Tim, Tim Burton. Burton. Cause he was married and, uh, and like broke up with his wife for Helena Bonham Carter. 
Maybe I should Google this because we're really giving this lady a black character. Well, I'm sure uh, Helena Bonham Carter's lovely. Like clearly a lot of people think she's lovely. Oh, dang. No, I'm sure she's a really nice person. It's not her fault. Um, <laughs> two, two episodes of adultery, marriage ending adultery is not her fault. Yeah, yes, you're right. Burton and Kenneth Branagh. Um, yeah, and Kenneth Branagh had only been married to Emma Thompson for like a very short amount, like like a few years. I just get the feel, he's just, this is why he was so perfect for Gilderoy Lockhart and Harry Potter, because it's like, that's, I get the feeling that's just who he is. Oh, just who he is. Yes. Yeah, the like preening sort of these lines, like just be yourself. <laughs> kind of Benedict, right? Like, kind why of. do we forgive him for it? <laughs> I don't know if I have, but no. I, it's like just go back and watch Much Ado About Nothing because it's one of the best movies of all time. Yeah, but I don't know if I really forgive him. He directs or makes like I w- I went and saw Poirot. You know? Did you? <laughs> Hell yeah, with that stupid mustache. <laughs> Wait, I thought I the first Thor movie. I love that movie. Did he? I didn't yeah, know that's that. why all the Asgard shit feels so Shakespearean. Oh, really? Brana, yeah. Oh, he's like, no, no, Sir Anthony, make it more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's why I don't know. That's why that movie works, actually, in my opinion. Thor is a tough sell when it came out. Um, to American audiences at that time. I mean, that was like, what, 15 years ago. The superhero thing wasn't as successful as it is now because of the MCU. And so if you're like, okay, bear with me. He is the like Viking God, but he's actually an alien. And <laughs> like, they travel all over the galaxy on the like rainbow road thing. And it's just, you're just like, what? <laughs> and then he comes to earth and he joins the Avengers. But like, for some reason that film worked. And I think a large part of it is because of Kenneth Branagh. I, I remember liking it. Yeah, I remember being very invested in it. And isn't, isn't Natalie Portman in it? Yes, yeah, she is. <laughs> She's the physics <laughs> scientist uh, love interest. That's right. I, um, I was l- looking through all my notes to figure out if I had anything more useful to say than just a litany of ticky tacky complaints. Well, I have to say that like this conversation has often gone down tangential paths, but I think that that itself is kind of a useful critique of the piece. If, yeah. Like, the more interesting things for us to talk about are unrelated to the actual <laughs> thing we watch. <laughs> no, but I'm serious. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah we got distracted by talking about like, oh, but this person was in this. So let's talk about that or talking more about the Ang movie than the thing we were yes. watching. It's, yes. you know, I think that itself shows that this, this is again, it's fine. If you like it, um, I didn't hate it. I liked it. I'd watch yeah. it again. I wouldn't pay to own it, but I, I enjoyed it. But like, yeah, it's really tough. I mean, I mean, the deck was stacked against them from the start. D- Davies, I believe, had a quote like, I'm going to make everyone forget about the Ang Lee version. We're like, Aww. okay. Um, <laughs> but it's just every time you're watching it, you're going to think about a movie that is just pretty much objectively better on a lot of metrics. Like that is just, it. not even Austin. If you're not even talking about Austin, that is just a really, really beautiful, yeah, and wonderful yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. The Everything way it looks, the performances, yeah. yeah, yeah. And a lot of that is also, um, well, Emma Thompson wrote the screenplay. She's brilliant. And Ang Lee is also brilliant. That's what he does. Like, that's why he wanted to make that film. He loves the emotional side of stories. Yeah. Um, he actually directed a movie about the Incredible Hulk called Hulk that I watched recently. And it didn't work because he was more interested in the emotional 
and stuff and like the Bruce Banner's childhood trauma. And it's like, dude, nobody actually cares about that. <laughs> <laughs> People want to see the Hulk smash. They right. don't necessarily like, care I about the Hulk's mean, trauma. The movie's an hour too long and there's way too much stuff about like his emotional trauma as a child. Which I, I remember yeah. people hating that adaptation. I will say I love Bruce Banner uh, in the mo- modern Marvel Universe movies. I am super invested in him. I care about his emotions. I ca- I Mark connect Ruffalo. with him on an emotion. Mark Ruffalo. Yes. I'm like, oh my God, I'll heal you, Mark Ruffalo. Like, oh my goodness, Bruce Banner. Like, I will love you. Why don't you let Black Widow love you? And like, I get very, very invested in that. <laughs> so that, that, that like yeah. wounded puppy kind of thing. Yeah. He's also, yeah. he's not a, he's, he is not a tall guy. He is, you know, I was saying that actress was very tall. He's a short man. So you're just kind of like, oh my God, let me clutch you. <laughs> did you find the the hulk hot when he like has the the glasses and like the he's wearing clothes at the end and he no. looks kind of like mark <laughs> i'm like the hulk got hotter <laughs> no Kristen, i did not you fucking liar oh no <laughs> for the brainy hole you've got there's so many other hot people in that movie although i did find a funny video which um they shared which was like but is benedict cumberbatch actually hot (laughs) (laughs) like can we we need to decide this once and for all i think that's a fair question yeah, no, he he is somehow like he just transcends every space is weird. And so I think this is just like he's got that whatever that quality is that actors can do that, like like Humphrey Bogart. If you saw Humphrey Bogart, you wouldn't be like, that's a handsome man. But he just has that charisma. It's a Henry Crawford style. You, you see him at first and you just think he's a person and then you interact with him or watch him perform and you're like, oh, my God, this guy is has so much charisma i'm drawn to that sure. person so yeah men men can do that too they they can be a little outside the western classical standard of beauty or or a lot outside of it and but still like a lot of women become famous because they are stunningly beautiful but i think there are a lot of actresses too who well, and that's, but it's also very personal what you're attracted to. Yeah. Like I am attracted to men who are funny. And um, you so, don't say. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you remember the, the movie um, Who Killed Roger Rabbit? Where Bro. do I, I remember the movie <laughs> Who Killed Roger Do you know how much childhood trauma I had from that movie, which I, I saw in the theater when it came right. out? Because everyone thought it was going to be like a fun kids movie. And it was just like nightmarish. It really was. And so the scene with, and it really was, I want to validate your fear. I was also traumatized. But um, the scene where Eddie, the detective is driving around with, yes, with, with, uh, with Jessica Rabbit, right? The hot lady whose dress is both strapless and backless. Yeah. And saying, how the heck did you wind up married to Roger Rabbit? It's utter goof. And she goes, he makes me laugh. <laughs> that is, oh, I can't remember the name of the actress who does her voice. But it's just like perfect. So yes, and and you you actually got to wear a similar Jessica Rabbit dress when you got to sing that uh, song. Yeah, from the movie. Yeah, from the movie, the nineteen twenty two had planned. Yeah. You should sing it. I'm not gonna sing it. No, no, I love it. Um, but but yeah. You so, always want me to sing that song to you, Kristen. I love that song. Your performance when you sang it. I was there in the audience, folks. She <laughs> sang it for her friend who was a music major who had to do his final concert. Yeah, he I was, think a, it was a, a senior recital. 
Yes, yeah, so it was a senior recital. He was an upright bass player, and so he was playing no, the no, bass. No, no, Andrew played the piano. Oh, okay. We and had an upright bass, and then we had the, like, the snare. Oh, okay. Like okay, so it was Andrew and the piano. Um, yeah. Okay, but yeah, it, it was so good. But anyway, back to my point. It's everybody is attracted to different things but I think men you're allowed to have like a wider array of things that are attractive it's like it's, it's quite unfair but yeah, everybody's no, different yeah, right sure. you know yeah. yeah so but like Andy Richter for example isn't that not a classically handsome guy per se but he did a show for a while that was so funny I don't remember the name of it it's the Andy Richter show I think and each progressive episode, I had more of the hots for Andy Richter mm -hmm. because he was so funny. Yeah. I was like getting even more attracted to him. Andy Richter's cute. He's cute. Can I, can I tell you another hysterical story about Andy Richter? So you know how agents take a look, keep an eye out for parts that their actors that they represent might want. Right. On Twitter, Andy Richter was telling the story some some girl, some female actress was offended because her agent sent her um, a script that said like angry mom or something. She's like, why, why do I read angry mom to you? So Andy Richter was on Twitter and he was like, look, he's like, my agent forwarded a script to me once. The character was described as a fat piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> so he called his agent and he was like, what about that piece of shit said Andy to you? <laughs> and that guy was like, but did you read the part? <laughs> Anywho, I, 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 should we wrap up? I don't even know how long we've uh, gone on. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Time has no meaning. So, yeah, anymore. it's been like um, an hour and 18 minutes, which is a fine length. Do we need to talk about any mail? Do we need we to do to sheet? We do. I have some mail to talk about. Um, the first thing I need to do is I owe an apology to our listener, Zoe, and indeed to all our Australian listeners who are we much for the cheap humor, much loved and respected. Yeah. When we were talking to Bianca last time, I was saying something about, you know, if, if you do something that is hurtful, you should apologize. And then I said, we, we're not going to send you to new racist Australia. And I was kind of just think I was kind of in my head trying to riff and thinking, oh, it's a place that people got sent, right? But um, it must be extremely annoying to constantly hear people reference the history of Australia in that way. And so yeah, I, and like I do apologize. Incorrect. And you know, it's great when you're doing your apology and you repeat the offensive part. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I just had to explain what it was or no one would understand yeah, okay. what, a, what, a, what a piece of shit I am. Uh, okay. So, you know, acknowledge piece of shit over here. I, I do truly apologize. And I have to say, um, I, I love our Australian fans and not more or less than any other fans, but I do notice like a, a sense of humor that seems unique really to Australian folks. And they're just like some of the happiest, most funny people. You really feel like you can josh around with them. Um, but maybe not about, but maybe not, country. maybe don't be a piece of shit when you're making yeah. jokes. Well, That's it's a thing. good thing that I happen to be attracted to pieces of shit. <laughs> So it doesn't lessen my affection for you. <laughs> and then the other thing I have to um, plug a couple of things. I have to mention, we had a listener email us. Our listener Marie said, have you come across Dr. Octavia Cox on YouTube? She's a fan who posts her YouTube, posts on YouTube, her close reading 
of English literature, which includes uh, Austen. And it was delightful. I watched a video of hers. It was delightful. And I bookmarked it and I intend to watch more. But yeah, so that's Octavia Cox. Give her a look on the YouTube. We got um, a note from Brian who suggested that we watch 1987 Northanger Abbey and had missed that we actually already talked about it. So we got to email back and forth about like how freaking bonkers that adaptation with the, is. the everyone's favorite, like gothic saxophone. Yes, yes. So that, that was fun to just chat about that. Yeah, so, and anybody, oh, Yuzini, oh, our fan Yuzini, mentioned that she's just discovered the, the book called Jane Austen Game Theorist, which I was familiar with, but had not read. Um, it's an intriguing looking book talking about how um, Jane Austen ex- explored game theory's core ideas. And so she's going to check it out. We, we we may have to read that in some distant future because it seems like a heavy, heavy yeah. read. You know, in the like 15 minute windows I get where I can read. Yeah. It might be a little difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But what do we have coming up, Kristen? We have some fun content coming up. Well, when our schedules align. We would, we would be very excited and we'll be very excited to welcome Manners and Madness onto our podcast. We do not yet know what we're going to talk about, but we guarantee it will be fun and hilarious. And we are going to invite back to the podcast our dear friend Priya, who you may remember from our Regency Days game. And we are going to be talking about Bridgerton with Priya. Yay! Yay! Finally. <laughs> well, we yes. wanted to wait until we had one of our friends who's kind of more of an expert on the books, I think. Yes, she is a expert on the Julia Quinn books on which the series is based. Do you want to talk about anything else that, you know, one of the things that Maya and Christian do on their podcast is they talk about like what one thing they're reading or watching now that they like really love. Is there anything that you want to like promote? Um, I can't remember if I mentioned this when we were talking to Bianca, but the big thing I watched, so Alex is three months now. And when he, like the last week of my pregnancy and when I was he was just a few weeks old I watched the entire series Schitt's Creek twice (laughs) I literally finished it and was like okay time to start again and I just went back (laughs) because it was almost like my therapy and so I'm like really late to the party on this I purposefully waited until I was um on my parental leave to watch it because everyone raved about it so long so I'll just, you know, echo that. It's just really a fantastic series. Yeah, all the feels. I am we I we I am definitely late to the party on Shit's Creek. Everybody oh, it's so shares its memes all the time and I'm just so late to the party. So I really need to get on it. A lot um, of people say that they don't enjoy the first season that much. I really enjoyed the first season. The first season um, I don't think the show knew exactly where it was going, like the end game, which obviously six seasons down the road, so fair. And the characters haven't had their like big character growth yet, though. So a lot of times they are somewhat unlikable, but I still really liked it. So that's just the caveat. People are like, do I keep watching? It's like, keep watching. <laughs> do it. I have to plug something. I've mentioned on the podcast before how much I loved Naomi Novik's book, Uprooted. And I've since read her Temeraire series, which yes, I it, love Temeraire series. Oh, you know, it's, a, it's a, in set in Regency times, but it's got a dragon. And it's very similar to Anne McCaffrey's dragon where the dragon can te- has telepathy and is a great character. Well, and so anyway, telepathy, they just talk. Oh, do they? T- he just, does they he just, just talk. talk. They just full on talk. Oh. I will say it's basically like Napoleonic war, but with dragons. Yeah, no, I forgot that he actually just speaks. But so I, I love Naomi Novik and 
I did not realize, but she had a book come out. It is called A Deadly Education. Oh. Subtitle is The Sholomance Book One, which I didn't know what it meant, but I bought it because it was Naomi Novik. It is the best book I have read in a long time. So the premise is, imagine Harry Potter, the later years when they're sort of grown up and having kind of nascent romances, but they're trapped in Hogwarts and Hogwarts is evil and trying to kill them. Cool. <laughs> it is, but it it is so funny. It's got amazing world building. It's so smart. And it, I was gripped. I could not put it down. It's called A Deadly Education. And that's okay. Naomi Novik. I'll check it out. And there, uh, there's another one coming out. It's, it's going to be a series. So oh, the next cool. one's coming out soon. I truly like her. And, you know, you want to like support women authors in fantasy. Yeah, sure. For sure. Um, Bay and I did just finish Netflix's Shadow and Bone, which I thought was really good. And actually, I thought I enjoyed it much more than the source material. Oh, okay. Yeah, Speaking cool. of YA fantasy. That's not Ben Barnes. Who? He's very attractive. Who? Kristen. I don't know who that is. <sighs> He was Prince Caspian in the Narnia movies. Oh, I didn't see the Narnia movies. Oh my God. He was in Westworld. He was I didn't see Punisher. Westworld. Okay, get out of here. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with it. Anyway, he's a very hot guy. Let's just leave it at that. All righty. Don't you love it when this like podcast really gets into like good literary criticism? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what? We, we haven't shouldered literary criticism in a while. And I feel bad, you know, I was like, maybe we should really dive into this. Maybe we should do like one episode, one show per episode. Maybe we should talk about it scene by scene. I, I just don't think that's our vibe. I think, I don't think that there's enough there to do that. Yeah. And on this one, I don't know that there is really enough there. We, we just got to shoot the shit about it. So we oh, did. We, we did forget to mention in our upcoming episode, something that people have been asking us to do for forever. We're going to keep doing our Pride and Prejudice comment movie uh, commentary. Oh yeah. The movie commentary. We get messages yeah. all the time. Did you finish it? And why didn't you ever finish it? Why didn't we ever finish it? And yeah, and it's because we wanted to save them up and do them while we were together, but God knows who, when that's going to be. And I was shocked. I'm shocked. I know I've said this before. I shocked anybody listened to it. So I started listening to it to try to like, remember what I had said. So I don't make the same points over again. Right. I had to freaking turn it off. I hate myself in those commentaries. You are so funny and saying so many funny things. And I'm just like, I'm just like, yeah, totally. Because I can tell no. I'm watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. You just want to watch it. That's I just, right. Okay, well, you better bring it. Let's take this as an opportunity to grow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll bring it during the last episode. Okay, good. <laughs> cool. All right, Kristen. All righty. Audience, gentle listeners. Thanks for being awesome and continuing to listen to us. Yes, thank you. We appreciate you. We, we appreciate you. Thank you for having me back on my own show. Oh, <laughs> you're quite welcome. <laughs> Thanks for not replacing me. Oh my Kevin. God, you're irreplaceable. Talk about one person who's irreplaceable. Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Did you listen to the episode with him and Bay? Yeah. I had to edit out a lot of dead silence. <laughs> yeah, and like I think I'm if sorry. I just I had, a, I think if I just had clips of them saying, um. It would last for like 30 minutes. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that's true for us too. Like I cut I know, out. It is true. I edit a lot of stuff. And let me say this too. I, I aggressively edit these podcasts because the podcasts that I like to listen to are very, very heavily edited because my, my attention wanders. So right. I got into podcasts with um, my favorite murder, which of I course is a very like podcast. I didn't, but I'm better now. So I, I'm, I, I was listening to my favorite murder 
which they're so funny. Georgia and Karen are so funny and they're super tightly edited. So your attention never wanders. Then I got into this podcast recently called uh, You're Wrong About Oh, and is amazing. It's like two reporters or like one investigative journalist and, and the other guy works for the Huffington Post and she's writing a book. Anyway, they just do different topics every time, but it's like things that you might think you understand what happened historically, but there's more nuance. Have to they it. done the history of Australia? I don't think so. But what they, what, what I, what I was fascinated by was they're doing a long series about the OJ Simpson trial, which is ah. something that you might think, oh, it's been done to death. But their approach, I was just listening to an episode, they were reading passages from three different books about the trial, about the same event, that the passage was about the arraignment, right? Mm -hmm. And then they listened to the actual audio as well. So sort of exposing that there's no such thing as objective journalism, like right. the way these different people, and then one is Marsha Clark, and she's, of course, like really mean about yeah. it. And then you, you listen to what actually happens, and it's not as she described it at all. So would highly recommend uh, you're wrong about as well. Aggressively editing is good. Yeah. Oh, but this, that's why here, this is why I brought it up. I went back to listen to my podcast with uh, my guest, Sarah Rose Kearns, and I was so mad at myself. I was listening to the final edit and I was so angry with myself. I was like, why am I not letting her talk more? I went into that podcast with such an intention to not take up the space and to let her talk. And then when I listened back, I was like jumping in and saying things. And then I realized, no, I had left appropriate pauses, but then I edited them out in the uh, editing process. Yeah, so it yeah. seems like I'm jumping in and saying things, but I, I mean, actually was too not. hard on yourself. Kristen. I just hate myself. Every time I have to listen to one of these damn things, I'm like, who is this girl? Shut the fuck up. So oh, you're so, okay. You're so wrong. <laughs> Everyone I love you. Oh, it's true. This is the end of these podcasts always just turn into therapy where Kristen and I like assure each other that we're loved. I need, <laughs> I need therapy. I need to not be doing a good job at things right now. My, um, my little dog is dying. She only has a few weeks left. She's very sick. And so everything now is just me like treading water. So thank you. <laughs> thank you're you. doing well, you're doing great. I think you're doing great. Like this is a particularly challenging time. And I think that you're doing great. Thank you. And I think that you're doing great, new mom. Oh, thanks. Happy Mother's we'll Day. We'll find out. I guess we won't find out for like 16 years. <laughs> That's when the writing's on the wall. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. You should go sing Alexandra's song. I do. I sing to him every night. Aww. But I'm not going to sing. You had plenty money, 1922. Boom. I'm not going to sing that song. It's inappropriate for babies. Keep singing it. I don't even remember if I know the words. Um, Get out of here. Give me some money let too. other people make a fool of you. Why don't you do right? Like some other men do. Get out of here. Give me some money too. I just really like the vibe of that. Song it's so too. good. It's so fucking like, great. Get out. Give me your money. Give me some money too. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, I think you're Peggy so talented. Lee recorded um, Peggy Lee, very famous singer in like the 1940s and 1950s, I think recorded. Uh, if you've seen Lady and the Tramp, she's the one who sings, he's a tramp, but I love him. That's Peggy Lee. Very. I'm going to look up this recording do it all right everyone you know what we say we have delighted you long enough
Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.